We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by M-Prize Bank, your partner Impossible. Coming up, the latest episode of the KCSN Draft Show. Appreciate everybody that is hanging out with us today. We are really excited uh, to, yeah, there's drink one. Uh, we are really excited to kind of come here and uh, breathe, you know, just relax a little bit. Uh, this is such a fun spot to be in, but it's so soul free right now. I, this is all, we speaking straight to everyone's soul. This is all I got. <laughs> um, anyways, let, let's start with this. Let's just kind of do a high level view of this, of this draft class before we get into the weeds on every single player that this team took. Um, I think there's a theme there. Mm-hmm. We looked at the athletic profiles of, of through relative athletic score. Vast majority of these players are high quality athletes. Do you feel like it was circumstance? Do you feel like there was a desire for them to get more athletic on the field? Well, this is a for me. This is like a big bigger picture thing here. I think when we talk about this draft class as a whole, I think the draft class in general was considered generally a little bit weaker than Mm -hmm. some other years in the past. So you're going into this draft, you're looking at a draft class that might be considered weaker, and you're picking at the back of each round if you're the Kansas City Chiefs. I almost wonder if there was less of, or a little bit of an emphasis on finding guys that have high ceilings, finding guys that maybe need a little bit of development, but that have this physical ceiling, this athleticism that needs to still be unlocked. Because drafting the 100th best player in a weak draft class might not be as good as drafting the 100th best player in a different draft class. So instead of trying to just always nail down day one starters, guys that are solid that you think can come in right away, what if you're taking bigger swings this year because the draft class overall isn't that big? So if you go out and look at anybody that wants to look at consensus draft board rankings through the analytics, the Chiefs are going to be at the bottom of a lot of it. They're essentially, according to the general public, they Warren reach. Sharp does lack the draft class. <laughs> Correct. But, That's a, probably a good thing. But even the consensus board, which is everybody, people that we, you know, people that even we look at their draft cover stuff and like, yeah. the Chiefs are going to be towards the bottom yeah. of that. And so I'm not worried about that. But I also just wonder if there was a concentrated effort to get athletes saying like, hey, if we hit on one of these guys, that's going to be a lot better than just getting the good value in a relatively weak draft class. Yeah, if your double is not as strong. If your double's a single. It's a single? Yeah. 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 Hey, listen, day four, buddy. Not as strong. Nah, hey, listen. <laughs> just don't. Okay. Think about it too hard. I don't want to. That's don't, a good point. Don't think about it too hard. But, you know, if you're used to hitting doubles in the draft class and you're consistently trying to find 
high floor players that are going to come in. They're going to play, at, you know, very strong reps. You know, your Nick Bolton's, your Creed Humphreys, your George Karloftis, you know, guys that you know have a translatable skill year one, are going to come in and play at a really high level year one. If now all of a sudden you don't have as many doubles available to you in a draft class, your bust rate's going to be a little higher. And if your bust rate's going to be a little higher, why would you take high floor then? I mean, in that scenario, I, I'm completely on board. I even said it to these guys after the draft yesterday. I said, listen, in a, in a draft class where it, you may be looking at maybe not retaining some of these guys through that the entire rookie contract because yeah. of X, Y, and Z, and not just for the Kansas City Chiefs, for anybody in yep. the entire draft, take the bigger swing in that scenario because you got the foundation, obviously. I mean, last year they did a, quote-unquote, rebuilding year. And it won the Super Bowl. Oh, well. They turn around now, add some high value, high, you know, high chance swings at these sorts of things. Because if some of these guys hit in a big way, to Maddie's point, it makes the draft class worthwhile. So yeah, I totally understand it. Taking swings on those sorts of things and understanding that it, maybe the draft class is a whole weaker. So you kind of go out on a limb a little bit more. Maybe you get a better triple. Yeah. And I don't think. A, I don't think the approach um, just completely throws everything else out the window. Mm -mm. Just because yeah. you're swinging for high athletics profiles doesn't mean that you don't follow some of the same things that have gotten here to this point. Sure. High character football players, guys that want to be there, guys that have shown a willingness to work. Um, you know, all of them, all of them too. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I don't think they, I don't think they got away from football character. No. To to take these swings, they might just have. You know, and I think I, I do think you're onto something, and I know we're not getting too far into Felix quite yet. We're about to, um, but you know, nineteen twenty years old is 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 his two years of just exceptional production at Kansas State. And I was listening to the press conference on the way in, and they talked about how, you know, they were just excited to get him at this stage in his career. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think even just looking at some of the young, the profiles, Brett Beach has typically drafted younger players in the first round. He, yeah. The, like the vast, like cool, for the few first round picks he's had, been a lot of 21 year olds. Uh, the first pick in his drafts have all been 21, 22 year olds. So he has prioritized taking younger players. Um, and you, you just can take that, you take the athletic profile stuff that we're kind of looking at here. It, it makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah, and I'm, yeah, and I don't mean it in terms of like there's not a same level aspect of the players. Like Correct. you said, there's football Correct. character. All these guys are guys that, at least for in their mind, they're seeing as good football characters, or even just, okay, first of all, good good people, good characters on and off the field. Guys that aren't at a risk to just kind of blow their chance at the NFL by not doing the right things. But then on the field, all of these guys play with a certain demeanor, a certain chip on their shoulder, and play football a certain way. So like they are still attacking that kind of that level of safe floor, that level of safety. That just when you look at this class as a whole, and we're going to go through them all, but there's a lot of guys in here that probably have a higher you know quote unquote bust rate than these than that of the last two drafts. Out of the last sure. two drafts, they have guys that are walking into the NFL kind of at an NFL level of whether it's technique, whether it's strength, something else. They are walking into the NFL at a ready to play early on level. This class seems to be a little bit down on that. But the athletic ceiling of all the guys seems to be higher. And I just, I think that approach, when you couple it with an overall weaker draft class, makes a little bit of sense, especially for the Chiefs who aren't drafting in the top 10. Correct. When you're drafting in the top 10, you can balance it a little bit better. When you're sitting there taking the 31st best player in, you know, in every single round, quote unquote, 
then maybe you do just take some of those bigger swings a little bit. Maybe you do have to go get a guy that you think just has the potential to have the one player or the two players in this draft class that really go up and above where their draft value is. And I think we've seen them lean into the coaching staff a lot yes. this year. And I, hey, man, it makes perfect sense why you would do that. They, they just got off a year where Joe Cullen got the maximum production out of a defensive line that had talent on it. No, Don't get me wrong. Now you're giving him a few more athletic swings. You're taking a chance on Andy Reid developing another wide receiver, you know, getting another guy in house, giving a guy to Andy Heck that has the sort of two guys essentially. If you want to include Juwan Taylor, you know, as part of this entire process, you're giving these guys a chance to work with some of the best coaches in the NFL, guys that have a track record of development and getting the most out of individuals. The gamble is strong, like it, it, it. to the point where it's not even really that much of a gamble anymore because the track record is so proven that you start to think, yeah, these guys probably are going to get closer to their ceiling than they maybe would in another place. So well, part of that's the team too, absolutely. the current team. Brett Beach always gets up there and talks about like, hey, we can go play a game right now and we feel comfortable with all sure. the spots. It's lip service most of the time. We and we talk about that. Like he's saying that, that doesn't mean you can't improve. But you look at the roster this year because of the success of the last couple drafts, because of the success they've had with later round picks, with maybe some undrafted free agents, their roster is in a relatively good spot in terms of walking out there. Yes, there's a couple positions we could pick out that they might need improvement. And hey, guess what? They drafted guys in those positions. They really did. In this draft class. Yeah. But if they feel comfortable playing the guys they currently have, why not take a bigger swing on somebody that maybe when they do hit or if they do hit in the NFL, they're clearly a step above rather than just barely... They're trying to raise the ceiling of some positions, it feels like, rather than just raise the floor this year. And it's because they must feel comfortable with the floor that's already on the roster. I mean, yeah. I do. They won a Super Bowl. I so. do. I feel really comfortable with the floor that's on the right. roster right now. I, it, it's a, it, it's just one of those that Brett Beach, throughout his tenure, has continually tried to raise the yes. floor. And so looking at this draft class, especially the first couple of picks when we were looking at them, they didn't align with some of those yes. values in the past. And so that's kind of why... We were all a little bit taken aback by all of that. Then you start getting towards the end of the draft. I think I told you guys yesterday, I think it was in round four that all of a sudden I went, well, I, I totally and completely understand what's happening. Uh, like, I, I, I really understand this makes, uh, this aligns with everything. It makes perfect sense. Completely understand it. We're not building the floor anymore. The foundation is strong. Let's try and build the ceiling instead. Yeah. And I think looking at a team that has blue chip players, but they're blue chip players outside of Patrick Mahomes that probably aren't going to be around for the next ten years. But you know, like your Chris Jones is close to thirty. We talk about Travis Kelsey all the time. Um, you got to start finding some more blue chips. You got to start finding some more blue chips. So this could be a swing and an attempt to try to find some of those blue chips. For sure. Yeah. Let's see. Let's see what we think about the first round pick of uh, of the Kansas City Chiefs. It is Kansas State's Felix Enyudike Uzama. They took him at pick thirty one. It sounded like they wanted to trade back or, or trade up. I mean, they were looking at least exploring the options of trading back or trading up, and it didn't look, seem realistic. Do we do we think that now? Yes, with everything that we've yes, done now, I do. Maybe for a defensive lineman, right? I maybe. I think I. I think I mean it's more of a conversation I, for later, but when I, the Rashid Rice stuff. When I listened to Brett Veach's presser, he said, um, "You know they wanted to come out of round one with a premium position." So, I I don't think it was necessarily 
locked into edge. I think it was, we are going to look, we knew the price to, to move up for the receivers. Like you talked a little bit about that. We knew the price to move up for the receivers. And then you see a bunch of ASC teams that are basically locking them out. It was not looking like a viable option for them to try to do that. Um, so I think that was one attempt is just to try to try to come out with this premium position. I think they, they kind of showed that they might've been prioritizing the receiver a little bit, but it just didn't look out. Instead, they stick around. And they grab Felix and UDK Uzama at pick 31, a guy that they didn't feel comfortable trading back and being able to get. So they just said, hey, let's just keep it simple and grab this guy. Uh, again, his production came as a 19 and 20-year-old. The Chiefs are getting him uh, at a very young age, at a very impressionable moment in his career. And he's put some outstanding tape. And he's put some high-level production over the last two seasons. Right. And with this pick, I mean, I think you kind of just have to start immediately with the general athletic profile. You know, it's six foot three, over 33 inch arms, 255 pounds. And the 255 pounds is he might be maxed out in his frame, right? He might not be a guy that can add a lot more weight because he does not have a very wide frame. He's just very muscularly dense. And that power shows up sometimes on mm. on the field. But when you're looking at him, you start with the profile and you say, hey, this guy has a high ceiling. I mean, Craig, we, we went back and watched him after this pick in you know, our Airbnb, and we were sitting there, and we're like, yeah, nothing about his ceiling, nothing about his potential yeah. has changed at all. And even when you're watching him, maybe the flashes don't come quite as frequently as you would like, and that's why you're having a conversation of, was he a first-round pick or was he more of a second-round pick? But those flashes were still there. But the flashes are round one flashes. Like, they are super elite, high-level flashes when he puts it all together, when the hands come together. He's got crazy ankle flexion yeah. like uh, uh, some of the best in the class the things that he can do the turns that he can make with his and just the ankles alone are truly elite not something that the Chiefs have had I mean it, it, it's 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 a different style of defensive end and he's able to do that and oh yeah he's got elite burst yeah. he's got the elite explosion. explosion and got the length that you want to have for a defensive end for Steve Spagnuolo so it checks so many boxes for Steve specifically, and we'll get to some maybe moving away from some of those things, but check so many boxes for him that realistically the only reason why a player like this was available at 31 is because he hasn't put it all together yeah. yet. Because if he had, guess what? He's going ahead of Miles Murphy. He's got that elite burst that Miles Murphy has. He's got those sort of traits that these other guys that went before him have. It's just not quite as consistent yet and now you're giving them to joe colin to work on it well, yeah. so if there was a not concerns not even concerns is the right word but like if you did have some questions of maybe if he was or wasn't a player that you were looking at in round one it's probably based more and this took us by surprise a little bit more around the floor and that goes back to what we were talking about is he's probably not walking into the nfl and playing the run particularly well because he's a thinner guy he has power he can jolt blockers at the point of attack but he kind of struggles to hold his ground because he's a lighter guy he's 255 pounds and even at 255, like he still gives up a lot of size, just raw size to other people. Especially, Especially where he was lined up at K State. Yeah, and we'll get the, the, yeah, yeah, the inside shade of the tackle. And there's a counter to that, too. So, like, you're looking at him as just the body type. Maybe he's going to walk into the NFL and play against the run. And then he doesn't use his hands great. And that's a big part. Steve Spagnuolo the, loves guys. Yeah. If you want to say he's put out there on the edge to play the run, watch Frank Clark. Every single rep is arm extended in the offensive tackle, yep. outside arm is free, and you are able to transition off of this. Felix struggles to get to that point because he doesn't use his hands great yet. So what he does is get chest to chest and just try to hold his ground. And that's not traditionally what C. Spagnuolo looks Correct. for. It's why I actually kind of comped him to Melvin Ingram in the KCSN draft guide because that's how Melvin Ingram played the run. It's true. He got chest to chest and then just tried to use his body to slip or slide around blocks rather than use his hands. And so I'm not saying Felix is stuck there. I just think 
that plays a little bit of a role and why maybe he's a guy that you didn't have pegged as a surefire first rounder going into the draft process because there is still a lot of development that needs to happen from his hands and maybe even how he plays the run. Then now you're giving him again to Joe Cullen. Yeah. And you're going to say, hey, listen, Joe, what your job is to make sure that he's playing with that technique. He's extending that arm. He is playing with that. It's not to say that he can't play the run. It's like you said, right. maybe it's not immediate, right. but he's got, the, he's got the physical traits to be able to do that in the future there. And as we're going to get into with a lot of picks in yeah. this draft right here, that ceiling is high because if Joe Cullen gets him to do that stuff, gets him to play the way that he got, you know, guys like Mike Dana, guys like Colin Saunders, you know, it really developed in a season last year. If you can get that out of Felix Anaduke Azama, he is one of the higher ceiling prospects in this draft class. You don't get guys like with his ceiling typically at pick 31 to go to a situation where he can potentially hit that ceiling. I, some of that stuff that you're talking about is fixable. Like, I think that's the thing that you look Most at. Of it. Like, <laughs> the things that you can't coach, the explosiveness. I mean, mm-hmm. elite broad jump. Didn't run a forty, but you still, you know, he had he, had, he all these other measurables were still good. Um, you know, you can't coach that. You can't coach. I mean, like, and honestly, like, there's a lot of like, if he's playing somewhere else where he doesn't have to line up inside shade of the tackle all the time, we're talking about him a lot different. Are we? Where? Well, yeah. If he's if he goes to a different program and he's playing somewhere that's gonna let him play off the edge, like. What are we, who knows? Well, and that's what made his process so tricky, right? That's what made his process because a lot of the, the issues that you have in his game, you can chalk up to lining up as a four eye mm-hmm. and being in that position. I do also think, though, the more you watch, I started to have a little bit of concerns that it wasn't entirely alignment. Right. And again, sure. it's still all fixable stuff. I want to be very, very clear. It's all fixable. But yeah, that inside shade for a 255 pound guy is not, not ideal. He couldn't ever use an inside counter move. Like, I think that that's the other yeah. part of this. Like, you look at right. the pass rush plan, and he's got them. Like, he he will use them on occasion. It's just infrequent. But he could never use an inside counter move because he doesn't have a three-tech next to him. Right. He, they're, they, they're playing in that 3-3-5. Three, three, he's aligning as a 4-I, and he's got a zero-tech to the inside. as a nose tackle. That's all the way inside, lined head up over the center. Now he's trying to rush to the outside, and if a tackle is quickly setting up the arc because they know that he's got that elite burst he's got that elite bend and can beat him up the arc that tackle can set out there and guess what that guard doesn't have to worry about a zero tech on the inside he just gets to head on and anytime we saw it so many times on tape anytime felix would try and counter back inside guards just waiting for him either catch him or knock him down or anything like that he got he didn't get the kind of help from that alignment which is what made his evaluation so tricky in the pre-draft process yeah, I'm excited to see Joe Cullen get to work with this kid. Um, Me too. And again, he just turned 21. Mm-hmm. Local KC kid. There's plenty of things that are fixable that can help him achieve and realize a high ceiling. To your guys' point, talking about the theme of this draft, very excited to see what Felix NUDK Uzama does starting in training camp. We're going to take a break. We'll be back right after this. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. Kansas City, the NFL draft is here. It is draft week in Kansas City, and what a time it is for our city. Just winning a Super Bowl thanks to Andy Reid and company, and now hosting the NFL draft. It's an incredible time to be in Kansas City and to be a Kansas City sports fan. And regardless of who you root for, There's only one selection that every football fan can share, 
and that's an ice-cold Miller Lite. Look, the players change, the coaches change, the rules change, but Miller Lite is still the perfect beer for draft time, game time, and everything in between. When I want a beer with some flavor, you know I go to the cooler and I reach for a Miller Lite. It's light on calories, not light on taste. It's a perfect beer for watching football, watching soccer, watching any Kansas City sports, and hanging out with the boys. It's my go-to. So kickoff comes around again. Enjoy the beer that tastes like the season, Miller Lite. Great taste, 96 calories. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com slash KCSN, or you can pick up some Miller Lite pretty much anywhere they sell beer. It's Miller time. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories and 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network. Hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button and a drink. I guess if you uh, if if you That's are two. choosing <laughs> here at Holiday Distillery, uh, hanging this out just bourbon. Uh, yeah, I mean we're at Holiday Distillery. Splash of coffee. Uh, this is presented by Miller Lite. It's our draft recap show. Just kind of going through all of the picks from the Kansas City Chiefs. We just got done with Felix and UDK Uzama, and now we move on to. The wide receiver position that they uh, addressed by uh, trading up and making sure that they got their guy. I was looking at this a little bit um, the other night, and I think we kind of think probably not a good chance that the Chiefs were going to be able to even move up in a realistic scenario for the first four receivers. Yeah. Uh, so they passed on Jonathan Mingo and Jaden Reed. That was it. Those were the only other guys that they passed on, uh, the way the board set. And they went and grabbed... Rashi Rice out of SMU, hyper-productive, 10 touchdowns his final season, over 1,300 yards receiving. Just a, I mean, he had insane production his final year, and he did it all on turf toe. I want to take a second. I think talk about the process, maybe, of yeah. getting to Rashi Rice. I think Craig's good one to go this route a little bit earlier when he hinted at. So Rashi Rice, was he might even stay been down in Texas because he did go you know, where he's playing school. He worked out with Patrick Mahomes at a point to where nobody knew. Yeah. Nobody saw, nobody knew it was completely under wraps. Yeah. Quentin Johnson went and worked out with Patrick Mahomes at his home Cameras were on. Cameras were on, and that picture made it out. Publicly, Zay Flowers was invited there. Cameras were out. Then you got the Chiefs talking, publicly flirting with DeAndre Hopkins. You know, not them specifically, but he's, their name was brought up a lot with him throughout the process. They posted 
pictures of DeAndre at that fishing tournament. Yes. They said, hey, one of the competitors today. There's Link, a, you know. Yes. There's, so there's a bunch of stuff about wide receivers that never once was Rasheed Rice's name mentioned. He kind of snuck in as a top 30 visit and everybody saw it, but it's also made sense because here's a guy who played nine games with a turf toe injury and reportedly no surgery has been done on it that, you know, that I've seen. Maybe it has, maybe it hasn't, but it made sense that they would have him in. But at the end of the day, and then they traded up for him. So at the end of the day, the Chiefs trade up to pick 55 to get a wide receiver that they had in a visit that they hid from everybody else, and they spent essentially a month and a half talking about every other wide receiver under the sun. Do we think that this is a guy that they maybe had pegged as a player they wanted in this draft? I'm not going to say more than the first four wide receivers sure. win, because I do think they explored the option. It's a value up. thing. It's a value. But is he a guy that they pegged and kind of, created this elaborate smoke screen <laughs> to say, hey, here's a guy we want to go get. I think they knew, I think they've known for a while that they're not getting one of the top four receivers. Quite possible. Most likely. I think they've kind of known for a while. And the, <clears throat> these teams have a better feel for this. Like we've talked about this. They knew they were getting George last year. Yeah. They had a good feel that they were going to be able to get George Karloftis last year. I think they probably had a good feel that they probably weren't going to be able to get one of those top four receivers. And some of the strategy, you know, they, they they explored it. I think they, you know, you continue to explore it, but you have to have contingency plans. Yes. And if you're fall, if you are, if you know you're not getting one of those guys, you better have a solid plan to address the position, which I think shows like some people will say, eh, wide receiver wasn't that big of a deal. No, no. Well, it's made it clearly was. It seems it's like obvious. for a month they've been setting up this, and this yeah. goes even I think beyond knowing when you would or wouldn't get the four those four receivers though. Like I don't think you would have a great feel of that until the week or two before the draft. This sounds like it's been going on for a minute, so I just wonder if he's a guy that they have been planning on targeting for a while. Well, unless going to Rasheed Rice himself, the player here, we talked about the turf toe, played nine games on turf toe, and when I say that he played through the pain here. You would see him take a rep, and there was a visible limp in between snaps. Yep. And he would come sometimes back. Sometimes mid-route. Sometimes mid-route. You try to the line of scrimmage and just line up and do it again. Yep. This man did not want to come off the field. That's a high football character that we talk about. He has elite explosion, a 41-inch vertical jump, got a big wingspan here, is only six foot, not talking about, you know, like a Hakeem Butler, like a tower or right. something like that coming out of the draft, but is, is an elite contested catch receiver with terrific body control and a good release package off the line of scrimmage. They've got foundational building blocks to build on for all of that stuff to try and get him in as really a true X receiver. And that's what that's the thing that I think we've looked for for the past several years to add to the Kansas City Chiefs rotation is a true X receiver. I think he can align to do that stuff. Well, and that's a so we watched a lot of them. We went back to 2021 because there was the turf toe injury, injury right? Yes. And now there he was kind of operating in a wide receiver room that had two other NFL players in Correct. it. So he wasn't the guy like he was this past year. And he played a lot out of the slot. And we watched him go through some of the breaks out of the slot. And they looked a little stiff and labored. And he didn't look as polished as a receiver. Even playing with a turf toe injury, way you more could polished. See an improvement and his ability yeah. to make his breaks. And to your point, the releases off the line of scrimmage are something that got a lot better from 2021 to 2022. That explosion, I don't think it always shows up during the route down the field, but it shows up off the line of scrimmage every single time. And he mixes in his skip releases. He mixes in speed releases on the outside. With and a turf toe. With a turf toe. <laughs> well, with the turf toe injury. And so he just, he did a good job. I think you could see career development from him. And then he gets on the field and he's playing through this injury. And it's just, yeah, it's a guy where the explosion doesn't show up on in every aspect of his game, 
But when you find certain areas, like the playing at the catch point up in the air, you see the explosion then. Coming off the line of scrimmage for some of his releases, you see the explosion then, and you're wondering how you get him to translate that explosion to in and out of every single break, mm -hmm. how you get him to translate that explosion at decent speed down the field to where he can start to create more separation and not just kind of be a guy that's winning through contact all the time. 80% of the route at times would, would you'd be really impressed and then you'd get to the top of the route and you might be laboring because of the injury or there was moments there was moments like that where you just kind of said, you know, having the context of Turk Toe helps <laughs> in a big way on some of this stuff. The other thing, uh, his ability after the catch, you know, like you yeah. heard them talking about, hey, look, he's a running back with the ball in his hands after the after the catch. Mm -hmm. And there are some moments like he's strong, he's physical, he's violent. He's a violent football player as a blocker. Um, he's he's looking to uh, impose his will. Uh, he's looking to uh, to be tough after the catch too. He gets north and south real fast. Real fast. He doesn't he doesn't waste time. Like it's you know after the catch, I think there's definitely some ability as we see in these highlights. But if you notice, like it's not making guys miss. It's not trying to shake guys. I don't even know if it's necessarily hunting contact either. He's not AJ Brown where he's looking to go run right. through someone's chest, but he gets north and south immediately. So he's gonna pick up the available yards. In that regard, he kind of reminds me of Sky more a little bit after the catch. Yeah, a yeah. guy that is trying to get north and south immediately, and if he's already running a little bit, if he's already got some pace, he gets there in a, in a hurry. I do think you know a lot of comparison to Marcus Robinson ha has come out about this. Guess what? He's not Demarcus Robinson in that regard. Like he's not going to dance. He's not going to try and find those extra yards. He's going to head down. I some of the best things that I saw from him from a consistent basis. They ran a lot of curls, a lot of curls in this sticks in this SMU offense. But when he'd catch the ball, he'd immediately turn around. He'd know where the sticks were. Get across there. Yeah. He was getting you nine when you needed eight every single yeah. time. It was. It, it's a very hyper aware individual speaking of that you know sort of seeking out that yak ability the tcu game that we watched uh, hey that he was really laboring through you know that that turf toe there was a play that they threw a bubble screen out to him and he put his head down and shook off three tacklers head-on collision oh. on all three guys three stayed spins. on his feet three spins got three yards out of a play that had no business getting three yards it's not something you're going to look at and be like, wow, that's a great highlight, but that's the sort of stuff that's going to endear him to the coaching staff a little bit, despite maybe not having the kind of separation ability, which is realist. You know, we, we've talked a lot about that. I, he, he, uh, he wears cornerbacks like a backpack yes. a lot uh, throughout the entire route. Does, not a guy that's breaking a dude off at the top of his stem, wears cornerbacks. They're in his hip pocket a lot, but makes up for it at the catch point. What? That creates one of the most fun set of highlights you're going to see, right? Because mm -hmm. here's a guy that's going to have a lot of contested catch opportunities, and that makes for a fun highlight when you have someone that can continuously go up, elevate, contort his body, and make the catch. He said it himself. He kind of models his game a little bit after DeAndre Hopkins. And very, I'm not saying he's going to be DeAndre Hopkins in any you see it though. But you see that influence, and you see why that's a player that he would naturally gravitate towards because he doesn't create a ton of separation. But he's going up, he's finding the ball, he's adjusting to it repeatedly, and he's not doing so at six foot four, two hundred and twenty-five pounds. So you get that connection, and there's clearly a path in the NFL to win that way, because there's a clear example. It's not one that's easy to hit, though. And that's kind of the problem. That's where you start to have a few questions is if he doesn't end up at the DeAndre Hopkins level, what's the step down from that that's also successful at the NFL? And that's where you kind of get into a little bit of a gray area. Good thing Patrick Mahomes is throwing to him. I will say this before yeah. we move on from Rasheed Rice. Every cornerback in the AFC West is going to hate this show. He is frustrating 
to play against. Everybody is constantly aggravated by the fact that he's going to play physical throughout all this. You're going to have perfect coverage on him, and he's still going to come up with the ball. And, oh, yeah, he's going to run through you as a run blocker and just absolutely dominate you for four quarters. The number of cornerbacks, Deontay Banks, Ja'Korian Bennett, Tredavious Hodges Tomlinson, these are good players. They got drafted yesterday or, you know, previous days. We're in Deontay Banks, round one guy. Hated playing against this man. Absolutely hated playing against well, him. And I think Houston, even last year, put three, has now put four or five defensive backs in yeah. the NFL over the last two years, and he's out there blocking them whenever I'm glad you mentioned blocking because he's a very good blocking wide receiver. Yes. And it doesn't get a lot of run, but he is a guy that is good blocking technique, and then if you're not paying attention, he will decleat you. Yes. So, like, yeah, corners are going to be very upset having to play against him. Great coverage, and he can still make a catch against you. And then when he's not getting the ball, he's looking to knock your head off. That sucks to play against. <laughs> if... Um, you know, I, I tend to think the Chiefs just stay pretty flexible and fluid with their preferences at receiver. And I think they'll just take talent and say, we're going to exploit your strengths and we have Mahomes and we're going to give you talent. If they were seeking that X profile, they were stealing, seeking that kind of physical profile, there probably wasn't a ton of players available and there probably wasn't many better than Rashi Rice. I mean, no, it's definitely a profile that this draft class didn't have a ton of, right, for right. sure, right? And, like, we saw the Chiefs last year sign Justin Ross as an undrafted free agent. We saw them bring in MVS. We saw them bring in Juju Smith-Schuster. So, like, even Justin Watson, to a degree, these are all guys that are a little bit bigger that don't create a ton of just raw separation and stuff like that. So he fits that mold that maybe they've transitioned to. We heard Mahomes talk about how he's liking throwing to these bigger body guys instead of having to hit everyone in the numbers. So maybe that is something they're looking for. Still, you go back to last year, Chiefs didn't throw a ton of contested catch opportunities. No. They still didn't it, it hasn't been part of Mahomes' game, really. Juju got some, though. He got a few. And he caught them. He but did I, a good job with them. It but just hasn't been a big piece of what they've done I, historically. Like, and that's the hesitation. I just remember that one throw to Kelvin Benjamin four years ago that we all got. That's back shoulder. Yeah. yeah. And then Juju's got a few this year. They tried a couple to MVS, too, and I don't remember if they were as... They really targeted those contested catches in the end zone last year. It just didn't work out. Yeah. It just really didn't work out. Now you're getting a guy that scored a ton inside the red zone. Go Have him go up and get it. Yeah, so the physical profile is interesting. It's a different addition to this roster. They definitely needed some guy kind of like that. I'm curious to see how... Uh, Andy Reid exploits the strengths of Rashi Rice. We're going to take a break. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to KC Sports Network. We'll be right back after this. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Entertain. Educate. Inform. 
KC Sports Network. Thank you, everybody that's hanging with us. Please hit the like button. Please hit the subscribe button. I do want to make sure to thank everybody that donated to the Therese Paler Scholarship um, this last this weekend. It's been so awesome. cool to see the support that you guys, uh, you you all gave uh, for this. I, and we will have a total tomorrow on how much uh, we were able to raise. I know Ebony Reed, Therese Paler's fiance, said they believe that over $10,000 was raised between all the efforts. Um uh, through throughout it and I know we were we exceeded our goal of 7500 pretty quickly so and then Tucker came in in the clutch at the end and everybody else everything broke loose that, and we believe that pushed it over $9,000 uh, from Case Jones we're using the word chug loosely but that's the topic for another day uh, that's a that's an off-season discussion uh, Wanya Morris yeah. the offensive tackle out of Oklahoma the Chiefs trade up again to make sure weird we say hey look we think the Chiefs have three pretty big needs. Edge, wide receiver, offensive tackle. First three picks. Edge, wide receiver, offensive tackle. They go offensive tackle. They grab Wanya Morris. A, I, I know they talk about the positional flexibility a little bit with him. He played some left tackle while he was at Tennessee. Uh, this is a, a right tackle that is going to compete with Lucas Niang from Jump Street uh, to to be the starter for this team. Oh, but absolutely. And I think... Not only did they go right away with their first three picks, taking a position of potential, like one of highly valued position, but two, one that most people considered kind of a need for the team. They once again got a guy that maybe needs some technical development, but has a huge ceiling. So you watched, you watch Wanya Morris and there is some technical stuff. When he is working backwards in his pass set, it does look a little, not clunky, but a little rigid sometimes. It yeah. looks, oh, he looks a little, he looks like he plays heavy footed sometimes working in reverse, but when he does unlock his hips or sometimes once his balance is set, the length shows, the athleticism shows, and you see the potential. He flashes how good he can be routinely. So here's another guy that, yeah, maybe day one, he's not a clean prospect. He doesn't walk into the Chiefs as this surefire player. That's why he's a third-round pick. But he comes in, and he can compete with Lucas Niang. He has this high athletic profile. He has a high fit for the Kansas City Chiefs with his size, his length, and his athleticism. And there is a chance he wins this job as a starting right tackle just based on all of those things. Yeah, absolutely. And if not year one, maybe year two, yeah. maybe year three. Like this is a a quality swing on a good athletic profile, a large guy. I mean, thirty five inch arms. Andy Andy Reid, giant hands, giant hands. Andy Reid was gonna love this guy from Jump Street anyway, but now you're giving him to Andy Heck. You're giving him to that coaching staff. You're saying, hey, listen, we're gonna teach you how to do some of the things that we want you to do because you're coming out of this Oklahoma offense that maybe doesn't have a lot of the same blocking you know, tendencies that you're going to see in Kansas City. But I do think the stuff that we've seen in the past that other offensive tackles have struggled with is that check back inside. It's that making sure that that interior, that B gap is closed before getting up the arc. That is a concentrated thing that the Chiefs have done throughout the past. That's an Andy Heck thing. We've seen lots of tackles do that. Wanya Morris has a great inside hand. Plays with a super strong super inside Super strong inside hand. So one of those that maybe is going to translate a little differently. You know, it, it, it may be one of those things that they're going to be able to give a little grace to him when he's checking back inside because it's so strong. But it's going to fit very well within that Chiefs offensive line scheme. So, it, yeah, this is a wonderful, wonderful pick that we – we might have been cool with him at 63 even. I, I think I, we even had the discussion about it. Yeah. The night before it was like – you know, 63 might, I mean, it's probably the high end for our preference for him, but 
I mean, this is a it'd be a solid addition, you know, in, in day two of the draft. I mean, he's a guy that I think a lot of Chiefs fans have mocked. The day. Almost every Chiefs I mean, fan that does have. multiple mock drafts is putting yeah. is putting Wanya Morris in there numerous times. But because... like the most Chiefs third round pick ever. No, he... That's the superlatives you should have used, Tucker, for his video. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Because he's a guy that he fits the what they like in the size profile. You see the athleticism. You even see some translatable skills and how he plays. Now, Oklahoma's offense is very weird with wildly wide splits. They don't really vertical set much. They do a lot of strange stuff. Yeah. But you see that he doesn't get beat on the inside shoulder. When he does get beat, it's usually up the arc, and it's usually kind of a little bit later in the process once his feet stop, and then he has to restart them. But these are things that can be worked on. These are things that can be fixed, much like our other two prospects that we've already talked about so far. And so you start to see the size fit. You see some of the skill translation, and all of a sudden you're like, well, well, dang. I, I guess, think, I think guess he's got the th- athleticism to get up the arc, too. I up mean, the arc yeah. will pull. I mean, he, pull. the way he pulls yeah. around the outside, like oh, everybody, Anton Harrison's a first-round pick, and I think we thought he was a little bit better. His teammate at Oklahoma, we think he was a better prospect. But when you watch them pull around the outside, I'm not sure that once their hips are open, I'm not sure that Wani Morris doesn't move just as well, if not better, yeah. when pulling out into space. So he checks all of these boxes. And we haven't talked much about it here. He's a pretty good run blocker. Yeah. He's powerful. Like, you're watching some of these clips in here when he's run blocking, he's coming in. Once he gets his hands on guys, he can really unlock his hips, use his core strength and torque them down, turn them out of the gap, or just drive them into the ground. So he's that's not where he's going to make his money. I don't think he's a run blocker, and the Chiefs don't care about that. But putting him next to Trey Smith, I bet you could move some bodies out there on that yes, right sir. side. We talked about Trey Smith's familiarity with uh, Darnell Wright. We talked about, oh, Anton and, and Creed Humphrey on the same team at the same time. They played together and all that stuff. The funny thing is... <laughs> Wanya Morris played with Trey Smith at Tennessee, not Oklahoma. They the, this is a this is a pairing that could potentially be lined up next to each other for the foreseeable future. Well, they played tackle and guard with at, at Tennessee. Now they're doing potentially doing the same thing with the Chiefs, just on the other side. Yeah. But they still play tackle and guard. Yeah. And the other thing, just uh, just as a reminder, the Chiefs basically have mirrored uh tackles now. If if Wanya Morris wins the job, the measurements on Jawan Taylor are the exact same, near identical. Uh, you think there's a trait there that they were looking at? Uh, 35-inch arms, yeah. yeah. Athleticism. Hit the like button, hit that subscribe button. Appreciate everybody that's hanging out with us today. Uh, just, you want to hear just a bunch of guys in their 30s lost their voice last this last three days. Appreciate it. Pick uh, the, the the fourth round the Chiefs go Shamari Connor. Yeah. Safety out of Virginia Tech. Uh, this was the aha moment for you when yeah. it came to the athletic profiles, right, Craig? It absolutely, it was. This was the moment where I went, Oh, I get it. <laughs> Again, Shamari Connor, guy that's going to need some technical help, going to need some, you know, stuff to work on and all that, which, of course, it's a day three pick. Most of those guys do. But that athletic profile is so strong. It's it's almost a tier one CBAT. He tested with the safeties. So not a guy that was in the CBAT formula. I put it on there live on our day three live stream yesterday. But physical, really wants to get downhill, explosive, long he checks a lot of boxes he mirrors legerius needs game pretty strong because plays free safety plays strong safety can kick down into the nickel real versatility with a player like that while still maintaining that athletic profile yeah once again they hit that high-end athletic profile uh i, I don't even know if his is as much of like a, a technical thing he just needs to see the game a little better and that's kind of hard when you've played four different positions over five years sure. at virginia tech who let's you know it's not the uh pinnacle of stability at the college football world right so here's a guy that has a ton of versatility 
super athlete, can play a little bit of man, can play underneath zone, can play deep zone, and can come up and play the run. He makes a ton of sense as a depth safety and absolutely bonkers amount of special teams experience and production on it. And that's where I think the pick really is centered in. Listening to the Chiefs talk about it, uh, their, uh, their, their, their scout that they had talk, he kind of just said, you know, they asked him to do whatever, and he did whatever. Yeah. Um, he has familiarity, you know, deep. He has familiarity in the slot. Um, they just they appreciated his willingness to just do whatever was asked. And on top of all that, the special teams value. He said, you know, they said he didn't play as much special teams his final season with Virginia Tech just because they needed him. Yeah. Because that he was just such an important piece to their defense. But he played a lot of snaps primarily, you know, early on in his career. And it was just a guy that was just, he just wanted to be on the field. He just wanted to help. He just wanted to contribute. He just wanted to be um, on the field, which you got to respect. You got to appreciate. Um, that was something that they just kind of stood out. The Chiefs really appreciate, like, that's something that they valued. And I, I wouldn't be stunned to see, you know, we talk about roster building and, and all that stuff. I wouldn't wouldn't be stunned to see if Dave Dave Tobe's influence, you know, in this range was real because, you know, he's taken, he's, he's, he's had some, you know, he's had some weight for a Dorian O'Daniel. He's had some, you know, who was a hundred top 100 pick. He's had some weight for Armani, Armani Watts, who was a top 125 pick. They trade up to 119 for Shamari Connor. That's the kind of the range that, you know, that they've tried to value, find, you know, valuable special teams additions. But to that point, I do want to make it clear. I think that this man plays on defense. Oh, really? Sure. No, no doubt. I mean, that, the guys that you're mentioning there, yeah, Armani Watts got some very marginal snaps there. Dorian O'Dan, who really didn't get very many defensive snaps. I think Jamari Connor fits into the Chiefs' style of defensive back a lot better than maybe those other guys did in those other schemes. And yeah. so I do think that he's going to play. Yes, special teams early for certain, but I do think that this gives you – it is a higher floor with your safety room. And that athletic profile maybe allows you to move on from a luxurious need if contract negotiations, for whatever reason, don't it, go right. To that point, I think that was where you kind of felt like you saw where the Chiefs were going with the draft. Yeah. For me, it was the next pick and DJ Thompson, a defensive end out of Stephen F. Austin, because I agree with you on Connor. You see how he fits into the defense even early on. Mm -hmm. Thompson is probably a guy I don't see the fit in the defense immediately. He is a guy that is 100% a developmental yeah. player that doesn't fit the mold of what the Chiefs have gone for at that position at all. Doesn't mean dislike the pick. I love the pick. I love taking that swing on athleticism, but this is the point where all of a sudden I can no longer draw a parallel from anything the Chiefs have done in the past with Brett Veach, Steve Spagnuolo, even Andy Reid, and two with the draft pick. All the others, they fit in there on defense, even if it's a high ceiling type of pick. This one is pure development. Before we get too far down that rabbit hole, let's talk a little bit about what we've seen from B.J. Thompson. Uh, just because that initial first step and that flexibility is unbelievable. It's nuts. And he spent, the from from uh, Jason Lamb, the, the scout that talked about B.J. Thompson, he played at 220 uh, when he was at Stephen F. Austin. He's continued, so light. To, he's continued to bulk up and add more weight. He played more at 240 at the East-West Shrine Bowl. The traits still popped, even though he'd put 20 pounds on. Yeah, the the spin that he was able to put on display multiple times at the Easter S Shrine Bowl. I mean, Eric Galco has tweeted it out now. It's fluid. It's fluidity at 240 and six. You know, this six six the, with long levers and uh, maybe a little bit of an angular build. It's not a guy that you typically associate with fluidity, and he's got it. And that burst is there. This is a super athlete designated pass rusher that's really what this is right now as you develop and sort of give him more weight and 
get things going there. Be- before we get too far down there, because that's that was our yeah. initial reaction. Hey, he's playing at two forty. Put some weight on. You know, he's he's playing as a you know, maybe a, de- a designated pass rusher. The press conference, mm-hmm. Jason Lamb, and I want to uh, let's see if we buy it. We don't. He said they think they can put another twenty pounds on PJ Thompson. So they think freak athlete, good profile. They, you know, we've talked about is this a departure? You know, it's a fifth round pick. It's a swing. You know, on a on a physical profile. Do we think it's a departure schematically? Do we think it's a little bit more willingness to use a guy like this, or do they think they could put put twenty pounds on him and have him play? If, put, if you put twenty pounds on and then tested like he did, obviously he can he can wear a little bit more right. and still be a super athlete. But yeah, it's just it's going to be somewhere in the middle. I mean, I think he's never going to be a Steve Spagnuolo type defensive end. Correct. He's not even the strongest. He's not play, as he plays right now. It's just not even. Well, but yeah, I mean, as right, right now, there's no chance. But I don't even think if you put at 20 pounds on him, I don't think he's going to go out there, widen his base, stick his arm into an offensive tackle's chest, and just hold them at the point of attack. We haven't seen any reason as of yet to think that. Maybe they have, but it just that would be a big stretch for me. But looking at his frame. Um, looking at how he's built, like, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if you could add between 10 and 20 pounds to him. Like, yeah, he's not the widest framed guy. He is very angular, but he doesn't seem like he's super dense. He seems pretty wiry. So, yeah, you might be able to get some more some more pounds on him to to improve the aspect of fitting with Steve Spagnuolo's scheme size-wise. But I just I don't think he's that type of player. And, again, that's not bad. I'm glad they took that swing away from it. But this was the final like nail in the coffin of, oh, this draft is entirely about upside and development and getting these guys to do this because as it stands right now, there isn't a super role for this player. Even as he improves his technique, because he's not a super technical pass rusher, yeah. even as he improves it, there's still not a clear-cut spot for him in the defense and the way it's currently set up. Unless he's going to be just playing in the dime. You're just telling him, pin your ears back, try and win with speed, burst, bend. Which they, which they haven't which done. Which they well. haven't done. Right. That, that is definitely a departure from what they have done in the past as well. Bendy, explosive edge rushers are not the thing that Steve Spagnuolo has targeted. Joe Cullen comes in house, they draft two. And I wonder if there's some kind of push-pull here, too, because sure. you look at both of these guys, you know, flexibility, ankle flexion, guys that can run the yard and turn a corner. Both Felix and UDK Uzama and BJ Thompson have both shown the ability to do that. So as they're doing these scheme evaluations, and we've talked about the rigidity and the size of these guys, and yeah, it's great, and you earn the right to rush the passer, and we're going to be able to manufacture some pressure with some of this stuff. I just wonder if there is a I, the athleticism is a little bit more push pull now, and it's like, hey, let's let's get some let's get some guys that can actually run the arc and turn a corner now, um, but let's try to find it responsibly in a way that makes sense schematically for what C. Spagnuolo still wants to do. So and like, they still have those guys on the roster. Those guys are still there. The Mike Davis are still there. George Karloff just is still there. They can do those sorts of things. So it's not a complete departure. Right. But yes, I agree. I think it might be a little bit more of that push pull. Keandre Coburn is one of our favorite oh. picks uh, for the Cuban <laughs> in the city. It's humans in the world. We got to interview him at the East West Shrine Bowl. It was really cool to be able to just show you guys that interview right as the pick was happening. We were able to do that with BJ Thompson as well. Uh, that was kind of awesome to see. But Keandre Coburn, Coburn is a departure. From the athletic profiles that we've discussed, still a quality athlete for the position uh, as a true nose tackle. Uh, and, you know, his tape's fun. Yeah, I mean, he's a nose tackle, right? Like, I mean, I'm very, he's a nose tackle. They talked about it. You, the, the uh, area scout got up there during the presser and talked about, like, yeah, he's a, he's got a good first step, and he's athletic for a big man, so he can slide in from a nose, a one, a two, and he even played some three at Texas. But he said 
we see him as a true nose. Yeah. Like, here's what he said, and that's because that's what he is. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't have a good first step. He's not a nose tackle that you're going to plop in the middle of your defensive line and just say, hey, stand here and go nowhere. Yeah. He wants to get upfield and use his size and his power in that first step to really set himself up for success on the play. But he does I mean, he does so very, very well, but he does so at 330, 340 pounds. When you have a 340-pounder that has the first step that can get himself into a gap, it gets really hard for, for that to be handled. It's hard for offensive linemen to block a 330-pound guy that gets on their shoulder immediately yeah. without help, and he does that. Yeah, he absolutely does, and that first step really translates. When you see you know teams try and scoop block him and things like that, it, not being able to get around. He's already a wide human he's being. That's, that's why you're trying to plop a guy like that in the middle because it's hard to kind of scoop and move him off the spot. Now, all of a sudden, if that first step, because he does read the game pretty well, if that first step is lateral, and he can get in front of the guy, he can wreck schemes. And we've seen that a little bit. He's not useless in the pass rush. Not going to be somebody that you're going to be like, hey, yeah, we're getting four sacks out of this guy. Every nine, year. go out there. Yeah, no, it's definitely not going to happen. But you're not going to be mad at him being in there in the nickel to try and protect against the run. He's going to be able to push the pocket a little bit and maybe get a little penetration. Not going to be Colin Saunders, you know, get, getting upfield quickly for these sacks but not completely used. It's not going to be Derek Naughty. So really like the way he reads the game, really like the size that they added. This was one of those positions that I just felt like they needed throughout the process, and I was calling for Keandre Coburn for basically two rounds, and then the Chiefs were able to get him yeah. very late in the process. If you go back and listen to our podcast about B.J. Thompson, and we kind of turn the show on a little bit before you kind of see our line of thinking, so like we start the show before the pick is actually made, and we're throwing the, the we're throwing Keandre Coburn's name around. Yep, I'm pretty sure he was thrown around before the Jamari Connor pick. He might yeah. have as well. He might have as well. But like that's like, just start with day three. I believe I mentioned it. Who do you want the Chiefs to walk out of here with today, Keandre, Keandre Coburn? Coburn. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. It's a it's a fun it's a fun pick. And he's the only defensive tackle under contract currently for 2024. So I, that just kind of seemed like they were definitely walking. For me, they were walking out of here with the defensive tackle. Just a matter of like how big of an investment that they made. We talked about these true nose tackle types. There was a run on him, you know, in the 90s, you know, in the early day or late day three or day two, late day two. And then it just, there wasn't a ton of nose tackles taken from then to the sixth round. So the Chiefs kind of played the board well. They didn't get into that first wave of nose tackles. They got him, they got Keandre Coburn uh, in the uh, sixth round. Yeah, they, they picked it out well. And there wasn't a lot of nose tackles in this draft class after that run anyway. So yeah, yeah they, they did it well. I do think it's interesting. It's a different podcast, but they haven't even brought in any undrafted free agents to play D tackle. So they're real light in that room. Yeah. So he's definitely going to have a role early on mm-hmm. for this team. But Brandon Williams, you. Right. I think there's another vet. A vet coming in, too, which is good. They need it. It's just like, yeah, you weren't coming out of this draft without somebody to play that role. And if you look at how they've treated it in the undrafted bridge so far, they haven't brought in another a ton of other young guys either. Chiefs had a little bit of success grabbing a cornerback in the seventh round last year, right? A little bit. And running back. Uh, they grabbed Nick Jones, the cornerback, out of Ball State, another East-West Shrine Bowler. Uh, I think there's some special teams potential to him, too. Moxie. La Moxie, as Tucker Franklin would describe him. I, I think it's a little bit of an uphill battle for him to be able to make this team. But, I mean, special teams is always going to be a, a, a path to success. They clearly wanted to take a swing on a guy late, make sure that they secured the services of Nick Jones. Yeah, um, it's one of those, like, you look at how the Chiefs treated the rest of this draft from day three. They were trading up for guys to make sure they snagged their guys. and They ran out of picks, I get it, but they're just kind of sitting pat. It looks like they were just working through the draft board. 
trying to find one of the guys that they thought they would be interested in, maybe as a, as a priority free agent that yeah. they thought other teams would be contending for, and they snag him here. And similar to Connor, I think this is probably going to be a, a move uh, routed in special teams. They're going to, you know, it's going to be based around his ability to contribute as a special teamer, like Nizzy Johnson did last year. It is going to be hard to find like defensive snaps for Nick Jones on this yeah. team right now, even for the next couple of years, because everyone's young. Even you assume. Legereus Sneed, if he doesn't stay around, like it's still going to be hard to find snaps for Nick Jones on this defense going forward. But if he can prove to be a good special teamer, he can come out, he can make the field. He's a guy that plays with the kind of attitude and the uh, yeah. moxie that the Chiefs seem to like in the position. They yeah. like these corners that showcase this kind of moxie and everything and come out there and compete. So he's a he's a guy that can do that. I wanted to say he's a four year player. He's a fourth, you know, he's a senior. He's still only like 21, just turned 21 years old. He's not even 22 yet. So he's pretty young for a four-year player. So once again, they go back to that developmental arc kind of uh, tree here for this pick at the end of the round out the draft. Length, physicality, ability to play in zone. Like it checks a lot of boxes yeah. for Steve Spagnuolo's defense. So even as just a depth guy, you know, we talk about Rashad Fenton a lot as a, as a guy that played some special team snaps. Not somebody that you think about routinely when you're looking at the special team snaps of the history, but he played a lot. Like, he wasn't somebody that they necessarily targeted and said, that's an important special team snap. We looked at him more of a corner. I can see a pathway to success for this, especially since he's got a knack for blocking kicks off the edge. I don't know what it is. Oh, he's got a championship belt. He does have a championship belt. But, you know, uh, did really well, blocked multiple kicks for this special teams unit. So Dave Tobe wants a seventh rounder to try and come in and compete in training camp that has – kick blocking ability here you go buddy <laughs> listen pick 250s all yours it's all yours but we have highlights of all of these prospects available to you on the kc sports network youtube page we also have the first exclusive interviews with two of the chiefs draft picks uh on the kc sports network youtube page so make sure you subscribe to that and check out all the sweet sweet content we have you can see our initial reactions to all these players being selected you can see the highlights you can see exclusive interviews with Keandre Coburn and BJ Thompson. It's been a lot of fun to do all this sweet, sweet draft content with you guys all season. Special thank you to Tucker Franklin, BJ Kissel, Michaela Bennett, Joel Prestile, Eric Galco, Matt Miller, uh, so many other people for for being part of KC Sports Network and all the draft content. For Craig Stout, Maddie Lane, I'm Ken Swanson. Thank you. Merry draft, miss, and we'll catch you later. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard and think others would as well. You can find all six of our channels at KCSN. Covering the Chiefs, the Royals, Sporting KC, and the KC Current. Plus KU, K-State, or Mizzou. By searching KCSN wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.